and Zachariah Abukal, born in Choringham, whose career began at PSV. Gordon, you did so well with all the names, and then you mispronounced Gorkum. Gorkum, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do that for the names anyway. At least we have an outtake now. We do. It's Friday, December 16th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I am Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Ice Skate Commuter, and with me today is uh, Gordon Derrick, contributing editor at Dutch News and NS Air Fryer. <laughs> I have no idea what this job title is about, Paul. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was first going to say that this is the last episode of uh, of 2022 of this yeah. podcast. Uh, we will uh, start our Christmas break uh, right after we recorded and edited uh, this episode and put it live. Yep, I have my mince pie ready. Yes, um, we will uh, be back, though, during our Christmas break with uh, with our traditional Ophef of the Year special, where we will uh, do a round uh, roundup of uh, of all the best Ophefs that we had this year, and we will have a special uh, special guest on the show, and uh, that uh, will first come out for Patreon uh, Patreon supporters, and um, yeah, at some point it will yeah. be released to the general public. At some point, some vague point, some point in the future. Yes, yes, yeah. It's, it, it's a it's a movable feast, a bit like the Dutch apologies for slavery. But, um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We, we will also probably be apologising at length for something that uh, our special guest. Are we going to say who the special guest? is or are you going to keep it a mystery I, I we will keep it a mystery and yeah. i think most people might most be able to guess yeah. might be able to guess yeah, yeah, yeah but, but as, I, as i just said we, we will probably have to apologize for something this person says during yes. the op episode so definitely yeah. yeah and you can now buy uh nft uh cards uh for 99 dollars yeah. a piece uh of this person yeah, yeah. it's a bargain it's a bargain, indeed. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, job titles, you, you don't know what it's yeah, about. Coming back to the um, NSF, right? I have no idea what this is. You, no. you missed this. So do you remember or do you know that um, the Dutch uh, trains uh, or some of them, the, the newest ones, have this uh, special feature called a uh, power socket? Um Yes, I think for, so. So if you if you have a phone or you're, yeah. you are traveling to Groningen, yeah, yeah, you, you need to you, you, have if some you're work on your done. laptop. You need to plug in your laptop and your phone while yeah, you're traveling. Yeah, you can yeah. charge that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, that turned out to be uh, the most terrible idea ever because uh, yeah. power sockets can be used for all uh, electronic uh, appliances, mm -hmm. uh, including the dreaded air fryer. Uh, right. which uh, I'm a quarter quarter Belgium and um, also from Brabant so deep frying is is in my DNA it's absolutely my, yeah yeah air frying uh, is just sacrilege isn't it it really is you, you imagine, um, yeah, and it produces horrible dry chips as well just yeah. shouldn't shouldn't go there yeah um, by the way the inventor of the air fryer is a Dutch person and he died well, last that explains week so, a lot. Um, yeah yeah, um, um, yeah. Uh, see you in hell no, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah hopefully he's now in hell listening to the the, the, the top 2000 <laughs> on eternal repeat <laughs> as a pun as a penance <laughs> There, yes. I got my top two thousand jibe in straight away. There, look at yeah, that. Yes. I was, I was. It was just, in, in, yeah, I was waiting for it to happen. Um, uh, uh, I, I didn't want to p give you a, a top two thousand related uh, op just to avoid yeah. this, and I was wondering when will he start about it. But uh, uh, it was within three minutes, so uh, yeah. <laughs> well done. Yeah, I'm impressed um, with myself. Yeah, anyway, okay, come back to the air fryer on the train. Come back to the air fryer. Yeah. Someone yeah. in Brabant, by the way, in Tilburg, brought his air fryer with him on the train, <laughs> plugged it in 
in and started to um, produce some casuflees, which are also the most horrible snacks yes. uh, we have in the deep fried and snacks that we have in the Netherlands. Yeah. Um, so uh, someone uh, 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 videoed that, uh, uh, t- uh, put, put that online and it went viral. Uh, so um, yeah, uh-huh. it's, it's strange that you, heard, you <laughs> didn't notice it. But uh, yeah, it was all over the place and um, the NS said that it's absolutely not, it's absolutely forbidden to use <laughs> an air fryer in a train which makes sense but yeah you yeah. can't expect that uh, uh, from people from Brabant to uh, to realize no that, totally course. not yeah and there no. should have been you know there, I'm sure now there will be a, a little diagram on the train <laughs> with an air fryer and a big line through it saying you know air fryer is forbidden because uh, usually when think... you go anywhere in the Netherlands there's a big sign telling you all the things <laughs> you're not allowed to do this is one of the yeah. things yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and, and 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 not even uh, in a very commanding way, right? If you yeah. if you see such a sign in in Britain, for uh, for example, it always says, yeah. "Please keep it says, off please the grass." Please do not. Yes, exactly. Please yeah. do not. Yeah. yeah, you you are politely requested not to uh, to do this, but in in De- Dutch, it's just don't. Um, it just says it's forbidden. Yeah, yeah. everywhere. Yeah, it's a word. You see on literally on every single street sign, you see the word forbidden or a diagram or something with a circle and a line through it. Yeah, yeah. I, I I wonder how the uh, pictogram of a air fryer looks like. I don't think I yeah. would recognize it, but uh, yeah. yeah, I like the one on the trams that tells you not to um uh, uh not to get off the tram while it's moving, which looks like somebody break dancing. Yeah, trying to fall over. Yeah, and also a very obsolete message, over. I think, because the doors yeah. don't open while no. the tram is still moving, right? So yeah, but uh, yeah. That's a different story. Yeah, um, um, yeah, yeah my been, job you've title. You've been skating to work this week. Uh, yes, well, yeah, yeah, yeah well, um, without skates, not necessarily on yeah. ice skates, but yeah. uh, last night it it was so extremely slippery everywhere in the in the in the in South Holland and also in North Holland. I think um, there was a code orange or code yellow. No, it's code orange. Yeah, code orange. Okay, yeah. so that's code quite severe. Coast. Yeah. We get codes for every type of weather, and usually it's always on on, on yellow, meaning uh, be careful. But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we even got a code orange uh, uh, situation. Yeah, the, it was a the black ice was just uh, yeah, uh, just uh, everywhere. It, it, it was everywhere, yeah. and I was walking. Um, I was walking because I thought, well, I'm not going. I'm not gonna step on my bike because mm. then I will fall immediately. Yeah. But just the the you saw it spark. You saw the 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 the, uh, the roadside. You saw it's just sparkling yeah. because of the ice there. So uh, yeah, I was uh, I was uh, technically uh, ice skating <laughs> um, on your, without yeah. without my ice skates on. I, so yeah, <clears throat> yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. It, it was um, yeah, that uh, a couple of people appear on Twitter this morning have picked up the, the the fact the Dutch word for um when it's very icy out there with um with black ice is speckklat, meaning bacon slippy, which people <laughs> yeah people seem to like. But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I wonder where the speck comes from. In I that don't know either. Yeah, I guess idiom. when you cook when you cook bacon, it sort of looks like that, but obviously it's not as actually as slippery as as all that. That's the only thing hmm. I can think. Oh no, 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 not when you cook it. Actually, before you cook it, it's got that kind of glaze on it, and then the rolls yeah. have got that look, look the same as like bacon fat uh, with the un, un, uncooked bacon fat. But oh. obviously, the texture is completely different. I'm guessing it's. That's where um, it comes from. You, do you know oh. where? Okay, I just googled it. Where okay. it comes from? No, uh, I don't know where it, d- it comes from. It doesn't have anything to do with um, with uh, bacon. Okay, uh, but it has everything to do with whales. Uh, with whales. Uh, with whales. Yeah. Right. Uh, the how do you call that? Um, the, 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 um, yeah, uh, n- not the blubber. You mean the... 
the blubber of the of a whale blubber is that whale, a term? Blubber whale, yes, okay, I think yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just uh, also very slippery, apparently. Yeah. It says yeah. here, so that where that's where it comes from. The Dutch were, of course, heavily involved in slave. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, whale hunting. Whale hunting, uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> as well. Yeah. We we were all over the place yeah. <laughs> with questionable <laughs> activities. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, um, uh, the, the, we the Dutch uh, also uh, hunted whales, and uh, yeah, a lot of idioms from whale hunting. Um, has uh, uh, found its way in, uh, in in the Dutch language. So right. uh, this is this is this is just another example. That's right. Yeah. Well, that's I also wanted to learn uh, something, bef- something this morning. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, never too old. Um, yeah. Also, I wanted to uh, point out that uh, here nearby in Delft, a um, uh, a uh, gritter. Uh, slipped into one of the canals. So uh, really, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's 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 so slippery with uh, with black ice um, that uh, even the uh, the gritters um, even the gritters yeah. slide off the roads. Yeah, they need yes. to send another gritter out in front of the gritter, or a guy or, or a guy just with on on ice skates with a guy on ice skates with exactly with a bucket of salt going in front of the gritter to so the roads are gritted for the gritters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's. Uh, the, that's a great idea. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I don't know how, but this uh, brings us to uh, the OPEF of the week. Um, yeah, well, just you have that, I think I'll probably be reading it through gritted teeth, so perhaps <laughs> that's a connection. I'm choosing to ignore this. Um, <laughs> just like last week, we have a, a recurring OPEF. Uh, this time it comes from uh, the HEMA. Uh, on Monday, shoppers were uh, shocked, shocked to find uh, next to the well-known Rookworste and Tom Pusse, the latest addition to the high street chain's assortment. Brace yourself. Sex toys. <laughs> the vibrators and dildos are specifically designed for HEMA by this podcast's uh, favorite shirt sponsor, Easy Toys, yeah. uh, and they are openly sold in the health section of the nationwide store. The new product line, which HEMA advertised heavily on social media, led to mixed results uh, on uh, that same uh, social media platforms. Mm. Uh, some, were, uh, some people were outraged and appalled that something as controversial as sex toys are now sold by the family-friendly HEMA, while others applauded the move, saying that it shows that the toys are finally socially accepted. Others pointed out that HEMA's direct competitors, such as Kruidvat and Atos, have been selling similar products uh, for years without anyone batting an eye. So uh, they said, uh, yeah, there's nothing uh, to have OPEF about. Um, HEMA said in a statement they regard sexual pleasure as part of... uh, uh, as part of healthcare and yeah. therefore find it normal that sex toys are now easily accessible in their stores. Yeah. Despite the criticism, HEMA sex toys uh, turned out to be a hit. Within 48 hours, all the special HEMA sex toys were sold out, but the store promised that uh, shelves will be restocked by Friday. Ah, so, yeah, and then probably they, they, they did quite well on sales of uh, uh, blood pressure medicine as well for, for, for all the people who were outraged to see that. Um, <laughs> I wonder if they stopped the two next to each other. Yeah. It, was fi- <laughs> it was finally a, a profitable week for Hema, yeah. who has been uh, exactly. on the breach of, uh, of, of bankruptcy for years now, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. is it has a very yeah. decent uh, uh, image, right? Yeah. So, so it's, yeah. it's a very wholesome kind of store, isn't it, Hema? Yeah. 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 So yeah. As something as. Yeah, a little bit edgy as this uh, um, um, leads to all sorts of uh, reactions. Yeah, yeah. yeah they started people. with the gender-neutral clothing, and now they've gone moved to sex toys. Whatever uh, next, hey? Yeah. Uh, what's next? Uh, uh, inaccurate protractors. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> was another one. Protractor. Never heard of that word. I think. Huh. 
Geodriehoek, Geodriehoek, ja, dat is de Dutch word, ja. Ja, de time when, uh, when it had 11 bars instead of 10 for one centimeter. And that yes. sort of messed up everyone's, yeah. um, everyone's school exams. <laughs> 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 Which also, would be, it was found out two weeks before the school exams, right? So there was a mm. run on accurate uh, yeah. uh, protractors and yeah. nobody could find one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, another op-ef uh, about HEMA. Um, I don't think we had one this year. So um, uh, just in time, there yeah. is still... Uh, Good to see him just slipping in at the last minute there with the sex toys. <laughs> well exactly. HEMA. Another yeah. example of a very slippery thing. Yes. This week, the cabinet decided to go ahead with apologizing for the Dutch role in slavery, despite heavy criticism from almost everyone involved. Wopke Hoekstra sent an invitation to Vladimir Putin. The gas price cap turns out to be more complicated than initially thought. Dozens of MPs failed to reach a deadline. Temperatures dropped suspiciously sharp since Louis van Gaal's return to the country. And King Willem-Alexander was sued by Republicans. The government's efforts to apologise for two centuries of slavery continued to unravel this week. A group of six organisations campaigning for equal rights went to court to try to block the plan to issue a formal apology on December the 19th. They argued the date is arbitrary and meaningless and want the apology to be issued on July the 1st, preferably by the King. July the 1st is Keti Koti, the official commemoration of the abolition of slavery in Suriname, and next year marks the 150th anniversary. But the judge rejected the group's arguments that the government was failing in its duty of care and aggravating the pain caused by slavery, and so that clears the way for Mark Rutte and a bunch of cabinet ministers to go ahead with the apologies on Monday, although a final decision will be taken at Friday's cabinet meeting. And on Thursday night, uh, Deputy Prime Minister and uh, Minister for Finance, uh, Sukukar, flew out to Paris-Maribo in Suriname to try and kind of uh, yeah, smooth over the cracks that have emerged since the government uh, said it was going to go ahead with this plan to apologise for slavery next week so uh, why are they sending Sigrid Kaag now and not uh, uh, Frank Weerwind who was initially uh, sent to Suriname yes there's so many questions yeah uh, and uh, yeah um, the, the plan originally was for Rutte to uh, give a speech in The Hague on Monday in the presence of the three deputy prime ministers which is Kaag Wopke Hoekstra and Karel Schouten one for each of the coalition partners at the same time seven cabinet ministers uh, are due to be dispatched to the various corners of the Dutch Caribbean territories and the former colonies including as you said uh, legal protection ministers to Frank Veerwind and of course that's controversial because Veerwind has Surinamese roots and uh, many of the campaigners object that he's not the right choice of person to apologise on behalf of the government for the enslavement of his ancestors. Uh, John Rosa of the Surinamese National Committee for the Commemoration of Slavery said after meeting cabinet ministers in the Cuts House in The Hague this week, he's a descendant too, he should have reparations. In the meantime, the government has come out and made clear that uh, Veerwind will not actually be making the apologies himself, but he will be visiting Suriname to you know, discuss the wider issues, I guess. Uh, the core of the complaint is that Suriname and other former colonies just weren't consulted on these apologies. The government just came up with a plan and then kind of uh, imposed it. So it was yet again sort of the colonizers telling the, colon the colonized uh, what was going to happen uh, without any sort of input from them whatsoever. And they've now drawn up a list of conditions without which they won't accept the apologies, which include making it a criminal offense to use the word neger as a racial slur, a ban on Svartapit, cancelling the outstanding debts of these countries and setting up a restoration fund to support cultural institutions. So it's a great big mess, basically. Yeah, yeah. we already joked last week or the week before that that uh, yeah, we were almost uh, 
go- going to need an apology for the way they, <laughs> they are they are trying to apologize. Well, I think which... Kirk has actually flown out kind of to apologize in advance for the uh, for the way they've handled the apologies. Right, that seems to be uh, the way it's going. <laughs> Yeah, because because all these countries, as uh, um, Suriname, but also uh, the the Dutch part of the uh, uh, of the Caribbean, they had no idea what was the plan, right? They were yeah. informed by this leak. Uh, they still don't know what exactly was going on. There were also some reports that um, uh, the seven ministers that were going to uh, be sent to the to these places also uh, d- didn't know what the plan was. Mm. Uh, but if you're going to apologize, you're probably going to need a ceremony in that in that place right you need to uh, invite um, uh, 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 important people representatives of, of, of some sort of groups and none of that uh, had happened in any no. of these places they just sort of said we're going we're coming and we're going to apologize and uh, basically it was almost as if they were they were landing uh, uh, on the airport uh, stepping out of the plane uh, mm. say sorry and then just hump back and 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 and, and return to the Netherlands that yeah. was p- probably not the idea but it's almost it could might have been that that they were going to do that well so, I think it's, the thing is they just didn't know it was going to happen it was just lumped on them as you said and uh, yeah you kind of think if you're going to apologize to somebody for causing them pain and distress you should actually take the time to find out exactly what the you know the, what the source of their grievance what the actual nature of their grievance is yeah you know, okay okay we know in wide terms that slavery was wrong but what exactly you know, what why do people want apologies what form should they take these are all things you consult on surely you don't just kind of um, and the fact that uh, I mean, back in earlier sometime earlier this year Ruta said that uh, there wouldn't be I think when there were calls Ketikoti uh, this year so back in July that there should be some kind of apology for slavery and Ruta said we're going to take our time to actually do some research so that we get it right and now it turns out they've done no research they just come up with a plan on the back of an envelope um, and yeah. uh, and announced it um, and uh, it, 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 it yeah it, it seems to have been very very badly thought through Especially, yeah. Especially yeah. if you if you want to make an apology, you would you have to think this through, right? And you need yeah. to organize some sort of event, or uh, yeah, at least have put some put some uh, effort in it. And yeah, that's just uh, um, um, uh, what they lack doing. And also, yeah. I, I I also find Rutte's argument that you know we don't know what the political landscape is going to be lo- going to look like after the elections. That's a valid point, uh, I think. But still, that leaves us. Three three months to to organize, uh, or more than three months to yeah. organize. Well, I mean, something given they decent. were supposed to have started back in July, that gave them nine months really, and they yeah, now exactly. seem to waste the first six months. It's a bit like the the coronavirus pandemic all over again. Is this of yeah? Well, it could be that the cabinet has decided finally to to issue an apology. It could be the case. Yeah, uh, um, and that that might not have been uh, decided yet back in July. Um, yeah. but but. Yeah, but still, it's 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 just um, yeah. I think I think when you get to the point when the people you're supposed to be apologising to and show contrition end up taking you to court and producing a list of demands, that that should be a sign that something has gone wrong in your yeah. decision making process. I yeah. think that's yeah. the other thing. I mean, all, all these sort of demands they come out with now. Obviously, it's now, it's now been jumped on by commentators on the right to say that people do all, all this is all about just kind of wanting money and reparations. But it shouldn't have got to the point where it's become this kind of confrontational stance. I mean, th- these are all issues that should have been discussed, you know, probably behind closed doors or you know, in, in any event between the governments concerned, so that you yeah. didn't get to the point where people were you know were, were, were slapping down lists of demands. You know, yeah. the, the, the fact it's become so. Yeah, so attritional, I think, uh, speaks of the terrible way the government's handled the whole yeah. the whole situation. 
and also d- just distracts from from the whole uh, apologizing thing, right? It so, does, and yeah. it, it kind of gives more ammunition to people who just want to trivialize the issue and sweep it on the carpet and say that it was nothing to do with us. It wasn't such a big deal anyway. And look, uh, this is just about you know the, the former colonies wanting revenge, you know. Um, uh, and it does yeah. obscure, you know, the the, the wider thing, um, the wider issue of how you actually engage with slavery. Because one one point on which I think Rutter is right is to say this isn't the end of the story. This is the start of a process. And yeah, as I was thinking, actually, when I got up this morning, that keti koti means break the chains, but it's not just yeah. about breaking. The, and it refers to breaking the chains of slavery, but it's also about breaking the chains of ignorance that we've had over the generations since slavery, and that people have had a tendency to say we should move on, we should leave it in the past abolishing slavery was a noble thing that we should get credit for and completely obscuring you know the 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 the, the real pain distress that's caused and that goes on because you know the whole sort of nature of the the fact that we have a thing called a third world is a legacy of colonialism and slavery that countries you know, basically pl- plundered other countries back in the past and the, the legacy of that is now the inequality that you see in the world today yeah, it's a start of a process, but it's uh, it's a false start. Uh, it is a very false start. Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, this isn't the end of it. There was also some news of institutional racism in uh, one of the ministries in the Hague, right? Yes, uh, to quote the policeman in Casablanca, we were all shocked, shocked this week <laughs> to find out that racism has been going on in the Dutch Foreign Office. An independent inquiry that was commissioned in the wake of the recent Black Lives Matter protests found that staff members have been subjected to verbal abuse, derogatory behaviour and insinuations. Uh, that's uh, obviously uh, ethnic minority staff members in the Foreign Office. Non-white employees were passed over or excluded. Black workers said they've been called monkeys, negroes and inevitably Svartapit, while Muslims were constantly told they had to condemn terrorist attacks they had nothing to do with and had references to stinky people with headscarves. The report was based on 33 in-depth interviews with staff and four focus groups involving 47 people, and it concluded there was a serious and worrying lack of cultural sensitivity, which the authors defined as a tendency not to engage deeply with other countries and cultures, including the Netherlands' own colonial past, which all kind of loops back to the business of apologising for slavery. Foreign Affairs Minister Vopke Hoekstra said the report was painful and confrontational, especially for a country that campaigns for justice on the world stage, and he said, what a number of colleagues in the department and in diplomatic missions around the world have experienced is unacceptable. So, um, yeah, a lot of work uh, still needs to be done to uh, to correct this and to change this uh, this culture. And this is just one ministry, right? Um, yeah. Um, 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 of course, these are. This is probably uh, one of the ministries that, yeah, has the most um, uh, cultural uh, uh, diverse uh, group of people working for it. But uh, yeah, that's probably. Um, uh, similar investigations necessary in yeah. the other ministries as well yeah it does but of course yeah and of course also you know, it is the foreign affairs ministry so handle is responsible for all the diplomatic missions and it has that important role but also i mean when you saw in the, the false grant um which reported in depth on uh, this uh, um on, on, on this report into racism in the foreign office so i had a picture of all the uh, all the senior managers um of in, in the foreign office and of course it was all white faces which kind of <laughs> told you gave a clue as to um, um, were they all male as well there were some women, uh, but okay. they, were, they, they were mostly kind of yeah, uh, older people in suits, um, and, and they're nearly all white. So uh, yeah, it kind of tells you that yeah, which is obviously a, a, a makes it more difficult to uh, uh, to, yeah, to to achieve the necessary sensitivity. 
Foreign Affairs Minister Wopke Hoekstra, there he is again, yeah. um, has said the Netherlands is prepared to host a special tribunal in The Hague <laughs> devoted to prosecute Russian war crimes in Ukraine. Um, he said that on Tuesday. Hoekstra's comments come after the European Union proposed to establish a special court last month backed by the United Nations to try Russia's leaders. And that's an idea that the Tweede Kamer already supported in October. The Hague housed special tribunals in the past, such as the Yugoslavia Tribunal, and is also the home to a number of international courts, such as the International Criminal Court, that is already authorized to try war crimes, genocide and aggression against sovereign states. The chief prosecutor of the ICC, he is of course worried that... (laughs) Mm. uh, (laughs) Someone's going to steal his thunder. They took our jobs. Um, mm. He were he he uh, Karim Khan. He's uh, that's his name. He uh, is opposed to the idea of a special tribunal, saying that uh, his court has adequate powers to deal with any allegations of war crimes by Russia in Ukraine. Um, but he is ignoring, I think, the small fact that the court isn't recognized by the Russian Federation. Yeah, it's kind of and a sticking point, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah. So th- that basically means that legally, uh, this court uh, cannot do anything about it. Yeah, also because um, Russia doesn't extradite its own nationals. So, so, so it's also a problem. problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hoekstra said it is important to close this judicial gap and ensure Russia's leader do not escape uh, justice, adding that it is important to retain all options that could lead to the prosecution of war crimes. Uh, and he emphasized that broad international support and funding is required. Yeah, it's still uh, he's still the old finance minister, right? So yep. uh, yeah, he still has yep. to take money into account. <laughs> yeah, funding is very important. Yeah, he, um, he, yeah, he, he can't let that instinct go. No, indeed. Yeah. Uh, it is highly unlikely, though, that the UN Security Council will approve this tribunal. Uh, Russia is, of course, a permanent member with veto power, but the uh, United Nations uh, General Assembly also has the power to open a tribunal, and the General Assembly has already condemned the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, which started in February last year. And if this tribunal comes to The Hague, then I think they should uh, 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 put some effort in uh, in having a secure Wi-Fi network, uh, because the Russians... Yeah, yeah, and and and, and don't um, yeah, and, and don't locate the tribunal right next to a chain hotel either. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, indeed. Uh, yeah, the Russians uh, tried uh, when was it three years ago? I think yeah. already to uh, to hack into the. Um, it was the OPCW, the Organization for the uh, Prevention of Chemical Weapons, yeah, which is next door uh, yeah. to the Marriott Hotel. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. They where Sigrid Kaag used to work as well. By the yeah, way. yeah, well, um, the Marriott Hotel. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's your <laughs> But I yeah, meant yeah. the uh, the uh, OCPW. Yeah, Vodka Hooks, I was in charge of the of the of the IT Wi-Fi network. <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, the, the Russians parked a hire car um, and rigged it up with uh, with, with some um, a Wi-Fi interception equipment, uh, and then got caught red-handed. Yeah, by the IFD, who um, because they cannot help it, whenever they have a successful operation, <laughs> um, immediately uh, published it to the media uh, what they had done and mm. uh, how basically uh, revealing their modus operandi as well. Yeah. It probably hasn't escaped your attention if you've fallen over three times since leaving your, leaving your house this morning that it's been quite a bit colder this week. As we'll hear in the sports section a bit later, that's been good news for skating fans, but it's also meant we've had to turn up the heating earlier than usual. And that's of course prompted questions about whether we've got enough gas to get through the winter. The latest update from the government on gas security revealed we have started running down the gas reserves. In the last week, the amount in storage went down by 2.5%, and since October it's fallen by 10%, but we do still have around 85% left in storage, uh, and Kasuni, which buys in the Netherlands gas supplies, says that unless the winter's really harsh, we should have enough to get through. 
And uh, there's also good news because next week it's meant to get back up to about 11 or 12 degrees. Oh, uh, really? The coast. Yeah. Oh, this is good news. Yeah. <laughs> well, Thank you. good news that it's not, uh, yeah, there's not spec flat outside anymore. Um, so we're, we're almost into if spring. If this ha- doesn't happen, I will hold you personally accountable for uh, for the terrible weather. I, I, I will issue a personal apology, which I, yes. I will then botch up gigantically and have to apologize <laughs> for again. Um, one small cloud on the horizon is that gas use was down by 12% in the first week of December from the average of the last three years, but gas deliveries to Europe are down by 14% uh, because, of course, we don't have the supplies from Russia anymore and they haven't been fully compensated for. And the wholesale price in the markets uh, remains uh, perilously high at around €135 per megawatt hour, and that's nine times as much as it was two years ago. Enormously high. Mm. Uh, very, but but uh, but luckily we have an energy price cap uh, coming up. Uh, yeah. j- January first, it's uh, it's coming into effect, I believe. Yep. Um, but there is some uh, t- some trouble with that. Yeah, uh, it's not all plain sailing. It turns out it's more complicated than we thought. Um, obviously, the principle is fairly simple: that the government sets a maximum price you pay for your domestic gas, and then uh, tops up uh, whatever the difference is between your energy providers' rates and the price cap. That but, sounds um, already very very complicated, <laughs> but uh, it can yeah, still yeah. get more complicated. They can get more complicated because the next thing they had to do was put a limit on the cap, so a cap on the cap, uh, to to limit how much much, uh, cheap gas you actually get so that people don't just burn, turn the heating way up for the whole winter because, of course, that interferes with all their efforts to reduce energy consumption and bring down nitrogen pollution, all the rest of it. So you only get uh, the government, you only get the price cap for the first 1,200 cubic meters of gas that you use and 2,900 units of electricity and if you go beyond that then you have to pay the whole amount out of your own pocket and now it turns out there's an extra complication because of the way people's gas bills are complicated so most people get their gas bill paid every year you get um, so you might take out a contract for two or three years but your your actual bill is calculated annually and so there's sort of a, there's basically a line some point during the year a sort of before and after line effectively and what the government's realized is that um, when, when it gives you this 1200 cubic meter gas allocation for example that's sort of split it between your bill for this your bill that ends this year and your bill that uh, starts next year and runs into 2024 and then they sort of have to divide your quota between those two shares of halves of the year and obviously it's not two equal portions it depends on when exactly you get your gas bill um, um, so and what it's done is it's split, now splits the quota what you can't do is you can't carry over any capacity from the first period into the second period so if you've only used like sort of 80 percent of uh, your gas allocation in the, in, in the first bit of the year then you, you then you lose the other 20 percent so you don't get the full 1200 cubic meters However, Energy Minister Rob Yetton said this week that 95% of households will not be disadvantaged by normal energy use, whatever that means. I don't know. <laughs> um, but effectively what it means is basically check your gas bill at the end of the year to see if you've actually, if you haven't used the full uh, allocation that you get under the price cap, then you're not going to get the full price cap amount. Um, be, be aware of that. The government's website does have a page explaining the calculation method, which we will link to, but uh, yeah, as we said already, <laughs> it's complicated. Yeah. I think you did a very good job in explaining this. But <laughs> I think you did a terrible job. I think I'm more confused, actually, than I, than I was when I started writing it. <laughs> yeah, what they basically did is, uh, instead of a yearly average, they, they have divided it into monthly averages, yeah. uh, and you have to 
stay beneath that basically uh, uh, <laughs> in order to uh, be eligible for this for this price cap but yeah, yeah if you have a contract that sort of somewhere in the middle of the year comes into effect then um, um, and yeah it, you will be compensated so you still you you uh, you have your m- monthly uh, maximums basically um, but yeah, yeah. it's uh, it can lead to to awkward uh, situations where yeah it will lead to anomalies um, I'm sure and um, also I mean things like um, you know a lot of people are on fixed fixed rates at the moment so they're actually yeah. paying quite a lot less than the, the, the than the price cap amount even more because they actually set their contract two or three years ago when you know gas the gas prices <laughs> were much much lower, lower. Yeah. It was nine times lower if you come off your contract halfway through the year you're going to find in the first half of the year you haven't need the price cap at all so you just lose all that yeah. and then you get less yeah, compensation in the second half of the year. Yeah, On the other hand, if you were cap, yeah. But of course, I guess the the alternative is if you were allowed to carry over, then the, these people would just be able to burn massive amounts of gas in the second half of the year because they still had a full twelve hundred cubic meters to use in yeah in, in in the autumn. Yeah, but the the if January and February get extremely cold, and yeah. you need to uh, use uh, yeah more than average uh, uh, amount of gas. Uh, and your contract uh, renews, or, or, or uh, uh, the, the second part, if you signed your contract somewhere in in March, that means that you have a very cheap uh, winter. But yeah. yeah, if you use more than than uh, than than the averages, then you have a very expensive rest of the year, for example. Yeah, especially so, if the if November and December next next year are very very yeah. cold, then you yeah, have a real yeah. problem. Yeah, and of course, I've also had to factor in the fact that people use nearly all their gas in the four winter months yeah. and, and then not so and then hardly anything during the summer yes yeah so um yeah um it's more complicated than we thought and now we have uh, some more respect for the government uh, trying to come up with a solution <laughs> yeah. uh, 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 two months or three months ago when we can see uh, why the civil was... servants have been working through the night and uh, burning the midnight oil which is also yeah. a very expensive commodity at the moment yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> um and uh, yeah this is not the end of the gas uh, uh, dilemmas uh, no. because uh, students are also taking the government to court right now over uh, another issue right uh, yes because the cabinet has set aside 35 million euros to help students who uh, get into serious financial difficulties um, but the money is supposed to be distributed by local councils and they say they don't have time to work out uh, where the money should actually go I mean, the problem is that students often have quite complicated uh, uh, arrangements um, uh, for their heating bills because they have things like communal block heating student accommodation is very short terms people move during the course of the year and that makes it very difficult to split and work out the bills as, uh, as, as you're far more aware than me Paul but uh, so what's, yeah. what, what's your do you have block heating in your student block or how does it um, work so, uh, if you mean block by block heating that we have a collective energy yeah. contract for the yeah. entire building, yes, uh, yeah. that's that's the case. Uh, my gas bill went up with thirty five cents this year, so uh, <laughs> right, <laughs> I don't really need this extra money. But yeah, that's uh, that's obviously not true for everyone. So um, yeah, yeah, uh, I'm just in the lux- luxury position that I don't need to worry about this. Yeah, um, but then but how yeah, do they subdivide the bill between the occupants of the of the building? Uh, they just right? they just uh, uh, bill you with the average use basically oh, with average use right so, yeah, you, don't, so you don't have metered usage or anything like that no, no. But obviously of course in, because there's this difficulty with uh, calculating what students actually uh, uh, use or, or how they're included in the um, uh, in, 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 in the whole kind of price cap system uh, and students also don't have very much money and need the financial support to get through the winter it's quite urgent yeah. that uh, they do actually get this um, uh, that, that there isn't too much of a delay in accessing the, the, the funds from local council 
proposals. Um, and accommodation providers, of course, are putting up their rates to cover their own rising costs, which is driving students even further into debt. So, for example, in a converted university building in the New West district of Amsterdam, the students living there are facing a hike of 160 euros a month in their living costs. So yeah. now students in five university cities, including Rotterdam, Delft and Groningen, are going to court to try to force the council to provide financial assistance. And altogether around a thousand students around the country have signed up for this legal action. And Joram von Felsen, chair of Students Union LSVB, said students already spend more than half their income on rent. Yeah, so... Um, um my my uh, i would suspect that uh, the court will say that um uh, students need to be compensated in some way uh, the whole compensation is of course meant to support people with rising energy bills they cannot pay and yeah. Uh, yeah, as we say as you already said uh, students fall under that category um in 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 most cases so yeah um just um but the government just saying, yeah, it's too complicated. We're not going to do anything. Is is just uh, not not the way to go. And I don't think the the court will will accept that line of reasoning. Yeah, it, 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 it's uh, not really good enough that they, they say that people will be driven into debt because uh, it's too hard for the local government to work out uh, what the money is. I'm sure the court will tell them to put some pay some money up front, basically, and do the calculation later, which is how most of the Tuslachen uh, work or used to work. Certainly, after all. That uh, yeah. you know you, you, that you shouldn't, which can also lead to unpleasant surprises. That can also lead course, to unpleasant so. surprises, and um, yeah, and f- complications further down the line. But at yeah. least it means people won't be um, left in the cold right now. Yeah. As it's Christmas and the season of goodwill, we'd like to extend our thanks, love, and apologies to all our listeners. Because if it wasn't for you, this podcast would be just a very grueling form of therapy, basically. (laughs) But especially to our hardcore of loyal patrons, because your contributions keep us going, fund our snacks and subscriptions, and your questions give us a chance to chew over the vagaries and contradictions of life in the Netherlands. And all our listeners get early access to our exclusive bonus content, including the Ophef of the Year episode. So, if you want to hear that before the new year, and crucially, get a chance to vote for the winner, sign up as a sponsor of the podcast this week. For as little as a euro or a dollar a month, you can spend Christmas in the wholesome company of me, Paul, and uh, our special guest, looking back over the random eruptions of petty rage that punctuated 2022. It'll be the best Christmas present you ever bought yourself, and it's available at www.patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n, dot com, slash dutchnewsnl. Dozens of MPs are failing to declare their outside earnings and may be receiving more than they should in compensation for their parliamentary work, uh, according to research by radio station BNR. Uh, In total, 90 MPs and former MPs failed to meet this year's declaration deadline and 50 still uh, have not done so. Uh, BNR bases its claim on internal correspondence between parliamentary officials obtained using freedom of information legislation called the WOE and formerly known as WOP. The VOP, yes. We still call it WOP, right? Yeah, we, I, I think, think we so. still call yeah. them VOP we'll, requests, we, yeah. Yeah, we're going to yeah. stick to that tradition. Yeah. Declaring outside income can have a major impact on MPs' salaries if they earn more than €17,000, that's 14% of their parliamentary pay, via other work, they face a pay cut, which can mount up to 40000 a year. MPs can opt not to declare outside income and accept a maximum 40000 cut, and three who were late in making a declaration this year have opted for that. 
where they have the time to earn so much money apart from the parliamentary work. I don't know. It's a mystery. Uh, yeah, it is. It yeah. is a mystery. It, it's almost as if they're not turning up at parliament very often <laughs> and doing other things. Who knows? <laughs> Indeed. Uh, MPs have been required to report their outside earnings since 1990. And constitutional law professor Paul Bovendeert told BNR he is surprised more has not been said about MPs' failings to meet the requirement. I wouldn't say it didn't really lead to that much upheft, right? I no, it didn't a huge amount, no. When the news broke on Monday, I thought this was going to dominate the news for the rest of the week. But yeah, that was definitely not the case. Bovendeert also added that it is important that more is done to ensure outside income is registered. And earlier this year, as you might remember, far-right MP Thierry Baudet of Forum for Democracy was suspended for failing to record his work for the party's publishing company in the register of MPs outside interests. That suspension was voted in favor by a majority of the Tweede Kamer, of which apparently 50 of them are also not sticking to the rules. Yeah. So a little bit of a hypocrisy there. It was a different case, though, uh, because this is about the income or uh, side incomes, and Baudet was suspended for not declaring his side activities. Yeah. So a little bit of a nuance, but... Um, a bit of hair splitting there, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah I, I would still... just like to personally register that I'm shocked, shocked that the, <laughs> <laughs> the form for democracy is among the parties that is twisting the rules here. Yeah, yeah. We, we don't know who these 50 parliamentarians are. Uh, BNR knows it, but they didn't right. disclose it. I would think we, the public, have the right to know who exactly is avoiding uh, to declare this but what could also be the case because I was listening to Renske Leite SP MP yeah. who was on BNR uh, commenting on this news and she said that um, she was also too late she uh, yeah she had missed the email or something but mm. when she was reminded that she still had to do it she immediately did it and she declared that she didn't have any side income so it could be the case I think but I'm just the advocate of the devil here that mm. some MPs don't realize that they also have to say that they have no side incomes if ah. that's the case it might be that that's the reason why some of them um, uh, officially have failed to meet this deadline but i have no way of knowing this but this is my no, that's a very charitable view i think you say there Paul. yeah, but, yeah uh, i thought so yeah i mean it's almost christmas so but still it's uh, it's a definitely a, a worrying thing that uh, we have mps that are always talking about transparency and openness uh, from the government are uh, yeah avoiding this and uh, i'm not even sure if this register is open to the public i don't really i don't know i'm wondering now but yeah if some of them are earning up to 40,000 uh, euros a year too much uh, i mean we've seen it um, by other members of the public that um, receiving 1 euro too much can can have devastating results then exactly yeah, think, yeah. Um, yeah <coughs> or, or just uh, not signing a form or whatever yeah if you missed the email as a parent in the Tuslachen affair or you didn't reply to a letter that had much more serious consequences than just uh, being gently reminded to submit your paperwork yes but there were more um, VOP revelations uh, from the trader cam this week as well weren't there yeah, the Telegraaf reported this week that the number of uh, misconduct complaints by Tweede Kamer staff has doubled in 2021 to 26 complaints, and that's uh, compared to the year before. Uh, and it's also the highest number uh, in 10 years. 
The complaints range from abuse of power to bullying, and three times the complaints were about sexual harassment. Uh, for this year, the numbers are still unknown, but the newspaper expects them to be much higher after a number of MPs were accused of unacceptable behavior this year. A number of MPs were accused of unacceptable behavior in 2022, uh, most notably former Tweede Kamer chair Kadisha Arip, who resigned after it was leaked and investigation was opened looking into her time in office. The documents also revealed that the new chair, Vera Bergkamp, has looked into ways to expel difficult MPs from the parliamentary chamber. The ultimate consequence for undesirable behavior could be that the relevant person must find office space at an external location and can only have access to the Houses of Parliament for holding debates or participating in votes. And given how the temporary building of the Tweede Kamer looks like, I think that's actually an appealing prospect of uh, having to find an office at an external location. So, Yeah, I think they should be encouraged, if anything. Yeah, I think yeah. so too. Yeah. And also, uh, do you know what happened exactly one year ago of this day? Uh, exactly a year ago today? No, I do not. No. Uh, there was a new coalition announced. Ah. So, um, yeah, happy anniversary to... Rutte for, or at least the coalition, the, yeah. the cabinet, was, uh, uh, of course, took office uh, a little bit uh, less than a month later because they had to f- actually form the cabinet, of course. Yeah. Um, and of course, it was the same coalition as the previous cabinet as well. So Yeah, so actually yeah. It's, they, they, they are in existence much longer, of yeah. course, but... Um, and there was a twilight period called a formation, which lasted almost a year, I think. No, uh, yeah. Yeah, nine months. Yeah. Um, um, and so, yeah. Um, happy anniversary to uh, to Rutte for. Yeah. Do we think they'll make the second anniversary? I think so. Yeah. I think they will I mean, actually. Yeah. Just looking at the polls, yeah, I don't think it's any it's advantageous for any of these parties to have the voters go, go to the ballot uh, no. again. So no, I, I think they will they will stick together. Sports news now, and while Orania bowed out of the World Cup at the weekend, losing on penalties to Argentina, it wasn't the end of Dutch interest in the tournament in Qatar. Several members of the Morocco team that went all the way to the semi-finals were born and schooled in the Netherlands and started their footballing careers here. Chief among them was midfielder Hakim Ziyech, who was labelled stupid by Marco van Basten in 2016 <laughs> for choosing to play for Morocco rather than the Dutch national team. So if you see a man walking around Amsterdam with egg on his face, uh, that's Marco van Basten. Ziyech's World Cup dream looked to be over when he fell out with Morocco's manager, Vahid Halilazic, last year, but when the Bosnian was sacked, the new coach, Walid Regogui, welcomed Ziyech and his former Ajax teammate, Nwasa Mazrari, back into the fold. And the two were at the heart of the team that beat Belgium, Spain and Portugal before losing to France in one of the best matches of the tournament. Also in the team was Sofian Amrabat from Hausen, who played youth football for Utrecht and is currently at Fiorentina in Italy, and Zachary Abukal, born in Korkum, whose career began at PSV. Yeah, Van Basten, with this comment, really shot himself in the foot, didn't he? <laughs> he did, yeah. uh, uh, instead of shooting with his foot for once. So, yeah. But yeah, at that time, it was really frowned upon, yeah, and also because a number of these football players, of course, they have their football career uh, to thank for in the Netherlands. So yeah, it was a little bit uh, uh, frowned upon, but uh, yeah. Yeah, they made the right decision. I think in the long term, it paid off for them. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it really yeah. paid off for them. Uh, yeah. They, they uh, reached further into the tournament than uh, than they would have done uh, with Oranje this year. Yeah. Um, so uh, what have we learned about the players this week? 
Yeah, well, obviously the Dutch media have been busy tracking down some of the players' mentors uh, in, in the Netherlands, uh, like Remco Peters, who is the youth team trainer at Real Drunten in Flevoland, uh, where Hakim Ziyech played as a 10-year-old. So no Real Madrid, but Real Drunten. Real Drunten, yeah. The bright lights of Flevoland. Uh, Peters said it was uh, immediately obvious that Ziyech would reach a higher level because of his superior technique and phenomenal ability to read the game. And Ali Busaboun, a former footballer from The Hague who played eight times in Morocco, he said there was a clear causal link between the quality of the Moroccan team and the Dutch school of football. And I have to say that yeah. Morocco in the semi-final played much more like what you'd expect a Dutch team to play uh, than the actual Dutch team who played this very kind of rigid, static football under Louis van Gaal. Why was that? Is that that Louis van Gaal realized that with this team um, he wasn't going to be able to play in that manner and just... Uh, uh... Yeah, I think basically he realized that the players he had, he judged that they weren't able to play that kind of fluid total football that we kind of associate with the, with the Dutch, so he opted for a much more defensive lineup. Um, whereas Morocco did, did kind of play quite a defensive game a lot of the time, but when they play, when they went 1-0 behind against France, he saw them playing some very enterprising forward play, and certainly they created a lot more chances in front of goal than the Dutch did in 70 minutes against Argentina. The only thing is Morocco didn't really have anybody who was a recognised striker, so they, they missed all their chances. And there's also a flag maker from Dokum called DVC who said they'd sold five times as many <laughs> Moroccan flags in 48 hours as they normally did in a year. And they were still working overtime to, to, to churn out the flags. Much like Easy Toys uh, is doing now for uh, yeah, for, Hema. for Hema, yeah. And so we've seen a couple of incidents following the football results of uh, of Morocco in the Dutch cities. How about the latest? Yeah, we have, there have been um, one or two incidents after matches. Um, I think certainly before Morocco's matches, what you've seen uh, is that the Dutch media have constantly kind of been playing up the prospect of riots and that cities would be burnt to the ground. And uh, actually, what happens is a couple of teenagers get uh, get arrested for letting off fireworks. The riot police go in and clear up the square because uh, things are getting a bit boisterous and it's all over by about 8 o'clock in the evening. So in the context of football violence, I've got to say, it doesn't strike me as that extreme. And certainly when you look at how Feyenoord were fined in every single round of the European competition (laughs) last year uh, for rioting by their fans, uh, you know, I think uh, in the context of that, it's no great shakes. uh, But weirdly, we didn't see the justice minister calling for people who who let off fireworks to be hauled from their beds at dawn uh, for these heinous crimes. Especially because he's an Ajax fan, so you would think... would uh, take every opportunity to criticise Feyenoord fans yeah Yeah. Uh, but but for some reason I can't think why she was much more uh, exercised and enraged uh, by the violence she saw uh, in the name of uh, Morocco's fans uh, after their games which did happen and should be condemned uh, but also I think but in context and after the game against France um, there were three youths arrested in Ostorp in Amsterdam for uh, for letting off fireworks and riot police uh, cleared a group of around uh, 100 people in, in in that suburb, but on Makata Plain, where there'd been uh, there'd been trouble due after previous matches, reporters said there were more police than football fans, and also more journalists. Probably than more journalists fans. than police <laughs> as well. Yes, exactly. Probably the entire staff of the Telegraph were out there looking for riots. There were also a couple of dozen arrests in Rotterdam and Utrecht, but there was much more serious violence in Belgium, where a hundred people were arrested in Brussels and in France itself, of course, because bear in mind this was a needle match between Morocco and its uh, former colonial occupier, France. And there were clashes in suburbs with uh, large uh, Moroccan populations. A 14-year-old boy was run over after being struck by a car that apparently got caught up Hmm. in clashes in Montpellier. Uh, So that was pretty dreadful. But it's worth saying that um, of the 170 arrests across France, uh, there were 40 people who were members of far-right groups who were found to be carrying illegal weapons. So... 
Yeah, they they were just coming to the to the festivities and trying to stir up some violence. Trying to stir up yeah. exactly the extreme right wingers are walking around trying to trying mm. to stoke the violence. Yeah, so that's pretty tragic. Were they carrying uh, some sharp uh, darts uh, with them as well? They the- might well have been. Uh, yeah, certainly uh, there will be some uh, Dutch people out walking around with dangerous pointed weapons uh, in in London over the next nineteen days uh, because it's a PDC World Darts Championship. Yeah, uh, how's that for an elegant segue into the next uh, next section? I did my best. But uh... <laughs> you do your best, and I did my best to ruin it. But yes, uh, the, the the Dutch are out of the football, but now we can all sit back and enjoy the darts because there are twelve competitors out of ninety six from the Netherlands at the oh. PDC World Darts Championship at uh, Alexander Palace in London, colloquially known as Ali Pali. Um, it includes uh, the top five Dutch players who are known as the Dart Kings, the best known as Michael van Gerven, and of course the man who kickstarted the whole Dutch darts boom, Raymond van Barneveld. Is he returning again? Yeah, he's he's made another comeback. Yeah, He's the dick advocaat of dart. He really is, yeah. I mean, we're obliged to say, whenever we talk about Raymond van Barneveld, that he, he used to be a postman in The Hague. <laughs> uh, he's now won the world title five times altogether, but still seemingly best known as delivering the post. I, mean, but, you know, I think Raymond van Barneveld's postal round in The Hague is kind of a bit like Sean Connery's milk round in Edinburgh, right? Like everybody you speak to of a certain generation will tell you that Reinhard von Barnefeld used to deliver the post to their house. I have a similar story. <laughs> right. Do you know Rico Verhoeven? The name rings a bell, yeah. He's um, an M- kickboxer. I think he's kickboxer, a kickboxer. Yeah. Yeah. World-renowned. Everyone knows him, of course. He is uh, at least world-famous in the Netherlands and uh, used to work at the uh, cafe where he always uh, went. Uh, he was the guy who uh, who hang all the coats uh, right. for it. <laughs> so I know him from that. So he has uh, he has touched my coat at uh, several occasions. He was a cloakroom attendant. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But continue with uh, Raymond van Barneveld. Yeah, back to Barney, who's um, at the age of fifty-five. He's uh, made yet another comeback. He said he just couldn't live without the hype of darts. So he's lining up um, with his countrymen Van Gerven and Danny Noppert, Vincent van der Voort and uh, Dirk van Dervenbode. So probably worth tuning in just to see how the the English announcers massacre those names. <laughs> the winner will walk away with uh, with half a million euros and the total prize pot amounts to 2.9 million um, so darts has yeah become a very lucrative sport lately. If Van Barneveld said when he first uh, took part in the World Championship in 1991, he, he he got a loser's prize from the first round of 1,500 pounds. I'm I'm now looking at uh, uh, some pictures of Alexandra Palace. Yeah, never known that it's such a nice building. I th- yeah. thought it was just. Uh, yeah, some sort of hall uh, somewhere in the outskirts of London, but uh, yeah, it uh, actually looks quite uh, quite nice. No, it's quite ornate, I think, uh, yeah. from memory. Yeah, and also you have this uh, this one. I'm not sure if he's still active. This one um, 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 announcer and who announces the points with yeah. with this very raspy voice. Uh, do we think uh, he just uh, pronounced uh, too many Dutch names uh, in his in his lifetime, and that, that's the reason he should probably sue for. Damaging his throat. In fact, in fact, Margaret will probably have to apologise for the <laughs> yeah <laughs> to I the agree. dance community. Yeah. King Willem Alexander was summoned to court on Monday by anti-monarchist advocacy group Republique, who says his very existence is illegal. It's a bit harsh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> but they have a legal argument for that. Right. Um, Republiek is uh, was formerly known as Republikaans Genootschap, but uh, it's also very traditional for, for for Dutch groups to change their very well-known names to very bad... Uh, Into something nobody recognizes. Yeah. No, exactly, yeah. yeah. 
uh, because I when I when I saw that I thought who, who are they? But yeah. uh, that's uh, that's okay. The king himself was unfortunately absent in the courtroom, but his personal lawyer and the legal counsel for the Dutch government appeared uh, in the Hague to defend the monarchy on his behalf. The Staatsadvocaat. It's it's much nicer name than. Uh, the legal counsel for the Dutch government. I think yes. we, need, we need a single English name, uh, equivalent name for that, in my opinion. Yep. Um, the group argues that the king's role in the Dutch legal system is at odds with the European Convention of Human Rights, specifically Article 6. Judges are appointed by the king in the Netherlands and must pledge their loyalty to him before being appointed. Uh, lawyers, too, have to make the same pledge before being admitted to the bar. Republic argues that this affects the impartiality of the courts, especially when legal action is being taken against the king. The group wants to bring an end to those procedures, as well as symbolic appearances of the king throughout the, the judicial systems. Uh, proceedings are not equal if there is a portrait of your opponent hanging behind the judge, Republic lawyer Ewout Janssen said. Uh, the king, that's, of course, the case in every courtroom. I was going to say, this is, so, so he literally said that while there was a picture of the king behind the judge sitting here yeah. in that case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the king's lawyer argued that uh, there's a fundamental difference between the king as a private person and the king as uh, the head of state, adding that there is no immunity for the king and his role is uh, purely symbolic, his role in the judicial uh, process. The lawsuit has drawn considerable public support, raising almost 40,000 euros through an online fundraising campaign. If unsuccessful, Republic intends to take the case to the European court. A kind of curious case, really, isn't it? It's a curious case. Yeah. Uh, and also uh, the argument of the king's lawyer is, you know, he's, he's just a symbolic figurehead. Yeah. And then the counter argument is, of course, well, if he's only a, f- a symbolic uh, figurehead, why have him getting involved uh, with this in the first place? Yeah. Well, why have his picture in every courtroom? Yeah. 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 So... Yeah. Uh, and also, of course, we still have the um, uh, the, the, the offence on the books of um, Majesteitsgenis, right? Uh, Les Majesté. Yeah, but I think that's already uh, abolished, right? Isn't it? Or is in the process of being abolished, I think. Okay. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah. So someone who's not prosecuted uh, a few years ago for, for spraying fuck the king on a building, or they decided not to prosecute, or... Yeah, it sounds like a law that uh, yeah is from the distant past, right? Yeah. But if you just look closer, then uh, on a regular basis, people get convicted of, of offending the king. Which yeah. sounds like, uh, yeah, uh, something from from uh, as I said, centuries ago. Like medieval times, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in medieval times when we didn't have a king. By exactly. Way. Yeah. Um, mm. So yeah, we're looking forward to the to the six uh, episode long Netflix documentaries about this court case. Yes. Uh, so uh, yeah, we can uh, talk about it all over again. Yeah. Yeah. In medieval times, we didn't have a king. Instead, what we did was we killed and ate our prime ministers. Yeah. Which yeah, is much more yeah. civilized. Indeed. Yeah. We uh, we don't need a portrait for that. <laughs> no. That's uh, all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast.dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. My thanks to Gordon Derek, and we'll be back uh, next year. Whatever next. Um, uh, uh, um, 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 oh, how do you call it? Shit. Uh, a drafting triangle? No, that's not the what? word. What? Drafting triangle? Yeah. <laughs> like the the.
that, yeah, that sounds like a very extreme sex toy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, the the triangle that you use in in uh, in, in math. Uh, oh, uh, it's a, a, a protractor. Yeah, protractor. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which also sounds like a sex toy, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> protractor yeah. and compass. Yeah. 